Wow. Good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And man, I am excited. I've had some unbelievable guests on the show, as many of you know, and I really appreciate I already see people sharing this out. So thank you in advance for that. Today, I have an, an, a legend on, on the show. I have Mr. Ben Gay third joining us, and I'm going to go ahead and bring him in. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate it. Honor to be here. I've heard a lot about you, and it's an honor, and I've watched some of your shows. It's an honor to be with you. I, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I, I mean, I've, I know that you've written some books, and and I'm a very transparent person, so I have not read any of your books yet. <laughs> so shame on you. I know, right? But I'm. That's going to change. That's going to change. So, because I believe at 50 years old, I still have so much to learn, and I can learn from just about anybody. So, um, you know, as I told you, this show, I created this to help people get unstuck. I believe that we all hit those, those walls in life, and it happens to go with my name very well. Um, but we hit those we hit those walls in life and and we you know a lot of people stay there they stay stuck and they don't know how to get unstuck and I know a man like you you've probably hit a wall or two in your life <laughs> a few have you yeah <laughs> and I'm sure you figured out how to plow through them or climb over them or get under them or whatever and I, so I'm looking forward to hearing your story so let's start with um telling everybody where you're where you we were born and raised uh born in Massachusetts I was born a Yankee but thankfully through the grace of God I was raised a southerner <laughs> uh Atlanta is my if you and I met on an airplane although I haven't lived there in well over 40 years and said, where are you from? I'd say Atlanta. We'd have to talk for a while before I mentioned California. Yeah. Uh, so Atlanta is my emotional home. I'm a southerner. All the good things that come with that, hospitality, good food, friendship, etc. And uh, uh, that's where I got the start in my sales career. Was in uh, Atlanta? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Uh, at age 14, my father suggested that I wanted a self-winding watch. You're probably not old enough to remember what they are, but as you moved your wrist, a little weight in there yeah. uh, wound the watch. It's called so a, it was, a Rolex, isn't it? <laughs> well, I guess a Rolex does the same thing. Yeah, I have a friend who has four or five on his dresser, and they're always moving around yeah. and so on. But anyway, I, that's what I wanted for my birthday or something. My father said, I can't get it for you. And I said, why uh, he did well and he said it would always be running down and uh, implying that i just sat and watched television or something and didn't do anything so he uh, lent me the family lawn and sent me out in the hot atlanta summer to mow lawns i mowed one or two came home put the lawnmower back in the garage and said i don't like that wow. and uh, he said uh, well it, it, it's not an option uh, you're going to be in the lawn mowing business till you figure out something better. But uh, let me g give you a couple of secrets. And the secret was be the one who sells the jobs. Don't set a price on it. Tell them to pay you what they think it's worth. I said, can I trust them to do that? He said, they'll pay you two or three times as much as they would pay your set price if you do a good job. And then hire your friends to mow the lawn and give them half of the money. 
So in the growing season, starting at age 14 till almost 17, I had 20, 25 kids working for me. Oh, my uh, gosh. My friends, and was doing rather well. And then I won the Krispy Kreme Donut. Somewhere along in there, I won the Krispy Kreme Donut Sales Contest, a fundraiser at school, and uh, won a bicycle. And I was sort of hooked. I, I knew, but Dad was a salesman. Everybody in our family, grown, were salespeople. We belonged to East Lake Country Club. Most of the successful people there had either were salespeople or were salespeople before they started Home Depot and Coca Cola and so on. So yeah. uh, <clears throat> I've I, been. I've actually been to the Coca Cola Museum down there. It's oh, an experience. Isn't that an experience? Yeah, and sure and, and underground Atlanta and all it's like Under, underground Atlanta we used to own it was the back of our warehouse at 54 Produce Row oh my and gosh I, we're out here well not at, not with nightclubs and all it was just the loading dock of yeah. my father's big warehouse so I'm out here in California I'm reading about underground Atlanta dad the next time I'm back we got to take mother down there and uh, I don't know if you've been to it or not and in so many words he said you idiot that's where you played every Saturday while I was holding sales meetings. It's the back of our warehouse. Oh my it, was, gosh. it wasn't hidden. It was, you know, it wasn't discovered. It was a working dock on the back of a, of a warehouse. Wow. So uh, I, I knew it. I knew underground Atlanta before it was underground <laughs> Atlanta. Oh my gosh, that's insane! That's unbelievable. Yeah. Why don't you? Uh, I you know I, I I found it to be a pretty interesting story because you know again I I, I don't think anything happens by by chance or or, or accident. Um, you told me before we went live. You told me a, a quick story about. Um, why you ended up in Atlanta. And I, I think it's an interesting enough story to share that. How did you go from I'm, I'm born in Massachusetts and, and all of a sudden we're, we're, we're living in Atlanta? Well, we bounced through California briefly. My dad helped open up Apple Valley, California. And as I'd mentioned to you, so Roy Rogers, the great cowboy star, his big ranch. And Jeez. Uh, Pearl Bailey and her husband, their big ranch and, and so on. But my mother didn't like the high desert at all. I know you don't like Las Vegas for similar reasons. Yeah. And uh, so she developed nosebleeds. I really believe that while dad was at work, she punched herself in the face uh, <laughs> until she until she bled <laughs> enough she to get out of out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so we God. were on the way to uh, to Florida to buy a real estate company. I was six and a half years old. Stopped in Atlanta for one night to see his uncle, my great uncle, uh, who was a food broker. And uh, it, it, the next morning we got up to leave. Either my mother or I had the mumps that extended us for 10 days. The next day when we went to leave on the 11th day, the other one, mother or me, had the mumps. That stretched it out to 20 days. And in those 20 days, my Uncle Arnold talked talk Dad into buying the food broker's business. So we stopped literally in Atlanta for one night 70 years ago. Oh, and there's my gosh. Still members of the gay family there as a result of mumps. Wow. Uh, and wow. we wound up with Underground Atlanta. What a small world. No one's mentioned that to me in years. That I, Well, I you know, I, the only reason it stands out in my – well, Underground Atlanta is really, really, really cool. 
Um, yep. But I almost like I, I was almost mugged by a guy that was about six foot eight, <laughs> wearing a long black coat, like leather, whatever you call those dusters. And he walks yep. up to me and he opens it up. And, and on one side, he's got all these knives. I'm like, and he's like, they're for sale. And I'm like, okay. And then he opens up the other side and it's all these watches. I'm like, dude, I'm good, man. He's like, what? And he got like, kind of got closer to me. I'm like, I don't want anything, but thanks. Dude. It was a weird. <laughs> and I'll never forget that. I was just standing outside waiting on somebody to come out of the bathroom. I'm like, geez. But yeah, Underground Atlanta is pretty cool. And so is the Coca-Cola Museum if you've never been there. so Yeah, I um, have been. Yeah. The chairman of the board of Coca-Cola gets an automatic membership at East Lake Country Club, which was two blocks away from my house and wow. where we belonged for many years. So I knew uh, each of the chairmen of the board of Coke as they came through and all the other big companies in Atlanta. Wow. Uh, sort of grew up. Uh, one of the best things that ever happened to me, uh, Jim Newman of Pace Seminars coined the term comfort zones. Probably the best thing that ever happened to me was being born to a mother and father who were successful and articulate and educated and yeah. so on. And where I was raised, because I didn't know there were people who weren't successful till I was in my late teens or early 20s. I assumed everybody was. Wow. That's, that's incredible. See, that's, that's what, so it's about the mindset, right? There's this huge, huge disconnect with, with people that, that get stuck. It's, it starts, it starts right there in the mind. So, you know, um, and, and I'm, I know you know that, but like, so you went through, you, you were in East Lake down, down Southeast Atlanta, um, which isn't far. It's not too far from, um, the mountain where they do the laser light shows, the uh, stone mountain, stone mountain. Yeah. Which is another yep. phenomenal thing to go see. But, but like, so here you are down in, in, in Atlanta, you're going to school down there, right? Yeah. I went to uh, high school and okay. prep school up in the mountains in Tennessee, but high school okay. there and started college there, Georgia state university. I was elected president of my freshman class, but wow. I have a, comp I have a complaint. A, I was elected because of my name. Uh, no one knew who I was. Right. And my campaign manager suggested I not give a speech. He said, we'll only lose votes. So uh, <laughs> I, I won with like 90% of the vote running against five other people, oh uh, mainly because of my name. But my complaint is they didn't swear the new president in until three weeks after the election and when school had started. And by that time, I dropped out. So I was elected, but never sworn in. Hold it. You dropped out your freshman year of college? Freshman weeks of, <laughs> of college, yeah. <laughs> you didn't even yeah. like, you're like, I, this, nah, this is, what, what happened? Why did you decide that? I wanted to make money, not talk about uh, Shakespeare. Love and uh, shortly thereafter, uh, Wednesday, September 15, 1965, uh, I answered a little ad in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, said, if you know anything about marketing plans and want to make more money, dial this number. Well, I didn't know what a marketing plan was, but I wanted to make more money. So I answered the ad I, I, from a phone booth. I'm interviewing the guy who ran the ad to find out if, if he's worthy of of hiring me wow. and uh, 
about four or five minutes into the conversation, he said, Mr. Gay, I'm not the man standing in a phone booth answering want ads. Where are you? <laughs> and I told him it was on, it was on Peachtree Street. Of course, that's easy to do in Atlanta because everything is Peachtree Street. Right. But I was on the Peachtree Street, right, and he right. was at 1447 West Peachtree Street. And he said, okay, you're just a few blocks away. Be standing in front of my desk in, I think he gave me 15 minutes, or don't ever call this number again and hung up. Uh, Jimmy Rucker, my running buddy, high school friend, and the greatest salesman I ever personally worked with, came around at about that time. He also worked for my father in the food brokers business. I jumped in like Batman and Robin. I said, quick, 1447 West Peachtree Street. So off we went, and with a minute or two or seconds to spare, I skidded up in front of the receptionist's desk, said, hi, I'm here for an appointment. I thought it was a one-on-one. -on -one. It turned out it was a very small opportunity meeting. And uh, with, where they draw the circles and so on. I love it. And after I uh, introduced myself to her, I turned around. There was a nice guy, nice looking guy sitting there, black curly hair. And I said, hi, my name's Ben Gay. And he went right into the standard Ben Gay jokes. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to rub it in, uh, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so after he got through with that, I'm used to that. So I let him have his little run. I said, what's your name? He said, Zig Ziglar. And I oh. said, with a name like Zig Ziglar, you're laughing at Ben Gay? you got to be kidding me. Oh uh, I, I'd never heard of him, nor had anyone else. Oh uh, my. He was, this is in 1965? Wednesday, September 15, 1965, at noon. It, oh it, it had a little impact on my life. I, I reckon it did. So Zig and I and Jimmy Rucker joined the company that day, put up $91.42 each for a little sample package, oh. and we started a run. Zig got off faster than I did because he was 18 years older and had been in selling yeah. and was already, because of church and all, a pretty good speaker. Yeah, yeah. I was just a goofball who wanted to make more money. But uh, by the end of the year, we'd caught up with him and uh, – uh, started making a good deal of money. Uh, the last few months I was in the field there, adjusted for inflation. Rucker and I were making about $400,000 a month. That's adjusted for inflation. Wow. Part-time. Part-time. Because we didn't want to give up the security of our job with jobs with my father. So on my birth, where we were making $100 a week, that shows clear thinking on my part. Uh, so August 22nd, uh, the next year, oh, yeah, August, September, the next year, he uh, called, that's my birthday, he called me into his office and he said, uh, sit down, I want to, we're having a birthday party tonight, but I want to give you your present early, is Rucker here? And I said, sure, Jimmy. Jimmy came in, he said, since you two are sewn together at the hip and don't do anything separate, what I want to do is give you both your uh, birthday presents today. And he said, oh, great, thank you, Mr. Gay. You're both fired. Whoa. And you know, we're thinking, what did we do? Well, what he what he was saying is, go fly. You're making more money than I am. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, go do it. So that freed me up. Uh, one little sales contest against Zig and several thousand other distributors. The second prize was a Rolls Royce. Zig won that. Uh, next was uh, Lincoln Continental, as best I recall. Somebody else won that and on down the line. The first prize was a mystery prize. And after I won it, I discovered mystery prize was to be the next president of the company. And oh. uh, when I asked 
Bill, William Penn Patrick, the owner of the company, why it was a mystery prize. He said, in case somebody won it that I didn't like, then I'd change, <laughs> I'd change the prize. <laughs> so I cheated oh, somebody out. I cheated somebody out of a Rolls Royce, I guess. Well, so what? This is. It sounds like this was a network marketing company. Yeah, Holiday Magic Cosmetics, and later its related companies, State Power, Motor Oil, Oil Additives, Bob Cummings Vitamins, et cetera, et cetera, wow. was the largest MLM direct sales company on the planet at the time, my bigger God. than bigger than Amway and Shackley combined. Oh my uh, gosh. Adjusted, wow. adjusted for inflation, I was 26-ish running adjusted for inflation, a $3.5 billion, that's with a B, billion-dollar company. We were taking in in those dollars a million dollars a day uh, before anybody heard of us. But because we were the biggest act in town in the country and soon in the uh, in the world, uh, we drew all the top talent. So when I say Zig Ziglar worked for me, he did because he was in Holiday Magic. I didn't bring him to Holiday Magic. Wow. Uh, Dr. Napoleon Hill was my personal mentor because William Penn Patrick paid him. Uh, he, Bill said that I was like the kid that you have to tie a pork chop around his neck to get the dog to play with him. He had to hire Dr. Hill uh, to be my mentor. J. Douglas Edwards, who you and I talked about earlier today, yeah. uh, was one, one of our top speakers. <clears throat> Og Mandino, uh, uh, fill in the blank, Robert Schuler, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, uh, everybody that was anybody because we were the, the big game in town. And back then, you know, now there are 8,000 MLMs. Uh, back then there were three or four of, of note, Shackley, Amway, us, and I forget who the other one was. Oh my um, gosh! So, so well, I, I was let, right let, place at the right time. I'm, I'm kind of my tongue just swelled up. I'm a little bit speechless. So, <laughs> so I, my apologies if I come off sounding a little bit dumb right now. But so, so you, Zig Ziglar worked for you. Yes, because I became president. Right, I used right. To, I used to love to say that within earshot of him because it drove him crazy. <laughs> I'm the president. You're a distributor. You work for me. Oh my gosh, that's too funny. So, um, and I told I I have a, a text message from his daughter on my phone right now. Um, so, so the so you mentioned you mentioned Napoleon Hill as well. Yes. How did that? How did Napoleon tie into all of this? Well, Doctor Hill named uh, Bill Patrick in one of his books one of the four or five most influential people he'd ever met, or in the world, or something along with Thomas Edison and so on. Wow! And uh, so he came to the office. I didn't know he was coming. He came to the office to uh, present the thing. Oh. And flew him out in the Learjet. First time he'd ever been in the Learjet. Wow. And, and, uh, uh, after the presentation was back in Bill's office, I was busy. Bill got in the early days the glamour. I had to make the money so he could have the glamour. 42, <laughs> right. 42 airplanes, 3,500 acre ranch, blah, blah, blah. Oh my gosh. Uh, so 110 foot yacht. And, oh, wow. Uh, so, uh, on, I guess on the way out the door, there's a knock on my door, and I said, come in. It was Bill Patrick, and standing next to him was uh, an older gentleman uh, on a cane, 
And uh, so I thought, oh, God, it's one of Bill's old friends, and I'm going to have to build a company around him. That's how <laughs> yeah. Stay Power Motor Oil as it was got started. An old friend of his had something he worked up in his garage. Wow. Bob Cummings, the old actor. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bill had known him at Nutribio before Holiday Magic. And uh, so he introduced me to Bob, and I said, hi, pleasure to meet you. I grew up watching you on television. Bill said as he walked away, build a company around him. So that started Bob Cummings Vitamins. So here stands this elderly gentleman, and I thought, oh, God, I'm going to have to build multi-level marketing wheelchairs uh, or canes or something. <laughs> so I, I walked over to him, and I said, hi, I'm Ben Gay. And he, he said, uh, uh, Bill jumped in and said, this is Dr. Napoleon Hill. I said, oh, my goodness, what an honor. The day I joined Holiday Magic, I was given a, a old copy a record of The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale yeah. and and an old beat-up copy of Think and Grow Rich by Dr. Hill. I said, what an honor to meet you, Dr. Hill. And he said, call me nappy. And I said, I'm very sorry. And that started an argument that lasted two and a half years. The <laughs> words nappy never came out of my mouth until he was dead and I was telling stories about him. Oh, my I, God. I'm a southern gentleman. You don't yeah. call an older gentleman who's been very successful and is a doctor of something nappy. No. I couldn't do it. I couldn't either. So, so anyway, Bill said, you know, there are times when I'm convinced you're afraid to come down the hall. We were at opposite ends of a long building and tell me your your fears and maybe a failure that day or something. So I have hired, retained, he might have said, Dr. Hill to be sort of your – uh, mentor, I don't, I'm sure you use the word mentor. I'm using today's terminology, yeah, yeah. but work with you. And here's the deal. You can tell him anything on earth, anything. It will never get back to me. I didn't believe that. So I tested it. Well, I won't bore you with the story, but there was something that I knew would drive Bill Patrick crazy. Yeah. And I, and I told Dr. Hill we were thinking about doing that and waited for the door to come off the hinges. <laughs> And, and uh, nothing till the day Bill died in the plane crash up at the ranch. Nothing. Oh and I and I had written out the, the plot on a letter, sealed it, and put put it in his secretary's desk. So when the explosion came, we could get out the letter and see that it was not true. It was a plot. Wow. And to test to test, test Dr. Hill's honesty. To my knowledge, when the company finally went out of business, Bill was dead by then, by a couple of years. To my knowledge, that letter was still in that desk. So wow. Dr. Hill kept and I told him lots of things that I would have just as soon Bill Patrick not know at that time. Oh, my gosh. That's that. like I, my mind right now is that as seriously, it's numb. So, you, I mean, I'm sure, you know, um, my my good friend, Jeffrey Gittimer, Um yeah, I, I, I know of him. We've appeared at seminars together, okay. but he's on Tuesday. I'm on Wednesday type thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't think, unless I wasn't paying attention when he introduced himself, I don't think we've ever met. Oh, okay. Well, he's a good friend of mine, and I've had him on the show a couple times. He actually sent me a pre-release of a um, – and it's it's uh, normally it would be laying right here, but it's it's laying up and up next to the it's on my nightstand because I'm reading it. But it's a it's the pre-readers version or whatever it's called of a book that he just um, took out of the archives. The the Napoleon Hills 
early writings before Think and Grow Rich, and he wrote this book based. It was all Napoleon Hill stuff, and oh my gosh, it's it's my, the guy was way beyond his time. Napoleon yeah, he was. Hill. If if to drop in a, a plug, but I, I think it'll help your folks. A company is being built around me and my time with Doctor Hill. Wow. It's called. The Last Protégé, and the way you find it is thelastprotégé.com, and uh, it's going to be probably the biggest thing I've ever done, which is not exactly what I planned at this point in my life, but it came upon me. Wow. So if you're if they're interested in the teachings of Dr. Hill, my relationship with him, and more importantly, how his teachings can be applied to today. Sometimes writing from many, many years ago is a little cumbersome to read by today's people. You know, it's not in five-sentence yeah. paragraph or five-word paragraphs. Um, I think it's going to be a tremendous help to people. And wow. no cost, no obligation. I think if you go to that website, you just put in your name, first name, and email so you'll be kept up to date as it unfolds. Hey, maybe my wife who's on here, she's she's mesmerized by you as well. If somebody could... Um, type that website address in the comments. That would be awesome. The last protege.com. Right. Um, so, so that's awesome. And, and so let, let's go back to, um, so you're still in Atlanta. Is that right? At that? No, no. Oh, at I, that point at that. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just a distributor with Holiday Magic, and yeah, yeah. as I said, I, the phone booth was a cleverly disguised rocket, and it took off. Okay. And, okay. and rather quickly, I was uh, uh, rather quickly is a relative term. It seemed like forever for me. But from the day I joined to the day I was living in California and president was a little less than two years. Yeah. Wow. So you, eight, you, you so you said that the company now, I, I, how long were you like you were president of the company and you were involved in this for how long? I was with HM for. Seven years, I'm seven, guessing. Seven years, okay. That's, that's close. Okay. Uh, Dr. Hill and I met in 67. He died in 70, and I was there a couple of more years after that. Okay, okay. Um, and then what happened next? What was what happened in, in life then? Like you went. Uh, Bill Patrick and I had got into a, a, a battle over money, and, and uh, I wasn't willing to do some things he wanted done. So the latter years of his life and – the next couple, three years of my life, we beat each other over the heads with our wallets and made his attorney and my attorney wealthy. <laughs> right. uh, he wound up dead in a plane crash in his P-51 up at our ranch in uh, Clear Lake, California. Wow. Some people said it was suicide. It wasn't. He was just reckless. He, when he was a level eight pilot, he was flying at a level 10. Mm. And uh, last time I was up at the ranch with him, it was time to come home, go back to Marin County and run the business so he could live at the ranch. And uh, he said, I'll fly you down uh, whenever you're ready to go. And I said, no, no, I've called Art Stagg, our corporate pilot. He's coming to get me. He said, we've got four airplanes here. And <laughs> our, air, our airport is, you know, <laughs> by air 30 minutes away. I said, William, I have ridden with you in the last for the last time in an airplane. You can only fly – it's up in hilly country. You can only fly upside down at 450 miles an hour uh, through the mountains for so long. You're going to kill yourself up here. Wow. And about, 
about a year later he did. Oh my God! Wow. So so um, so after the company, because you you were you left that or you the company what? L- lingered on for a couple of years okay. after Bill's death and after my departure. Okay. Uh, okay. But uh, it's gone. It, we yeah. should be Amway, the big uh, stadium in Orlando should be the Ben Gay Stadium. Yeah. But Bill Patrick would not compromise. The government wanted to make some changes in MLM. Amway compromised. Yeah. Uh, well, even Glenn Turner, dare to be great, Coscott, who used to work for us, even he compromised, which is a story unto itself. Wow. <laughs> Glenn was an interesting character, but Bill wouldn't. So the federal government decided to drive him out of business and succeeded. Yeah, that, there's there's a fight you don't want to pick. No, no. <laughs> ever. It's like you know, never fight with anybody who buys ink by the barrel. For <laughs> newspapers, right. never fight with the federal government. You lose. Right. You lose. Yeah, there's no like, there's no. I, I, it's it's funny. I, you know, I'm in marketing and and web development. And I've had some people call me over the years, hey, I'm going to file a lawsuit against the federal government and I need a website. <laughs> like, dude, no. I, I don't want to. I'm not building that site. No. Like, no. Are you crazy? <laughs> like, that's stupid. Like, I don't care. I don't care if you're Wells Fargo. It doesn't matter. Like, you lose. They have more. <laughs> they have way more. And eminent more. domain and all that stuff. So, yeah. so the government is theirs. What's that? Government prints their money. Right. They right. they will have more at the end than you do. Right. Exactly. So um. So okay. So what? So you what did you do after that? Did you retire? Well, I re- retired is an interesting phrase. Basically, I was fired when Bill and I came apart. Although we remained personal friends, had lunch a couple times a month after that. Uh, uh-huh. Bill firing you, it's sort of like Donald Trump. Bill firing you didn't mean anything. You could still be buddies, you know. Oh, my God. We had some investments together. But basically, at age 30, I retired. And uh, my mother said that was not a good idea. The devil's the idle hands, the devil's yeah, yeah, workshop yeah. or whatever it was. And yeah. she was probably right. I started a church, Hilltop House Church, made myself archbishop, my theory being churches. I didn't, I didn't care about their sanctuaries being tax exempt but i did care about yankee stadium being tax exempt and big parking garages and so on. i didn't think that was right so my theory was start a church and uh then break those ethical rules not the legal rules but you know right start right. traveling around the countryside to places i was going to go anywhere and charging it to the church because i was doing research or something and uh, I ordained uh, at $12 a head over 40,000 ministers and then came – I'm telling you, this is a funny story. I'm not terribly wow. serious about it. Yeah. But I came home one day and my secretary of many years, my executive assistant, Marty Conley, she greeted me in the hallway and handed me a local newspaper, Marin County's local newspaper with a ribbon around it. That was never a good sign. So I opened it up and on the front page was a – beautiful head and shoulder shot of me my publicity photograph and next to it i couldn't figure out why i thought well i'll read that story later was a beautiful black labrador retriever uh, head and shoulders as i read down it turned out maybe our qualification credential committee wasn't doing its job we had ordained sadie thurber uh the black lab 
who happened to belong to the owner, the uh, president of the Be- Sacramento, excuse me, San Francisco Better Business Bureau. Oh, no. So while I was sort of flying under the radar getting ready to make my mark on what a church should and shouldn't do, uh, Sadie Thurber sped up that train <laughs> and we oh. were on national news rather quickly. I can oh. always tell when I was on national news, the phone would ring and it would be my mother. Oh. Dad never. Dad never called. He was never shocked by anything. But mother would call and said, Archbishop. And I thought, uh-oh. <coughs> oh, said, no. I understand. I saw on ABC's Wide World of whatever tonight that you ordained a dog. Is that right? Uh, <laughs> no. Oh, so there was that. And then uh, I went, you, you uh, uh, talk about breakthrough walls. Uh, there was that. And while all that was going on, the money wasn't coming in. Fifty, sixty thousand dollars a month was going to my attorney, uh, and uh, uh, the money ran out. Bill stopped buying the stock back from me that he had promised to. I was making fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a month sitting at home, just with him buying stock back on a regular basis. That yeah. stopped. And we wound up losing one of the largest, most beautiful homes in Marin County. The cars were towed away. Uh. <clears throat> and the guy who I, from whom I had bought and or leased some 300 cars, Marin Bay, Lincoln, Mercury, they're out of business now, yeah. uh, lent me for 30 days a Mercury Bobcat to get out of town. And I wow. drove into this town with a nickel in my pocket wow. in uh, ni- 1976 in a borrowed car. Wow. And had to start over. So we started the 800 call center industry with a national communication center, the very first one in the world, and built not only a new company, but a whole new industry. Wow. A call center. Yeah, the first dial 800 to buy something call center in the world was oh. right here in this town. You've got to be kidding me. Wow. No. And in 1976, 95% of all Americans didn't know a toll-free number was toll-free to them when they they used to expensive long-distance calls. So when they'd call, they'd yell because it was long-distance and talk talk really fast because they didn't want to run up their tab. So uh, it was interesting times. It was we, like we, we, we had those party lines back then, too. Oh, sure. <laughs> I, rem- yeah. I remember that. When I, when I moved up here, they had not only party lines. Some houses couldn't get a party line. So you'd drive down the street in a suburb, and you'd see a phone line coming out of somebody's bedroom window over to another bedroom window. They were unofficially sharing their phone. Wow. That's insane. So so you – so. Oh my gosh, man! You, you're like such you're you're a pioneer of like everything. It seems like, and when it comes to like, I mean, because I've 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 had telemarketing phone rooms where I, and and we did you know outbound stuff. It sounds like you guys did mainly inbound stuff in in the beginning, but then outbound. Okay, sure. yeah. So um, and those are interesting environments. <laughs> They, they certainly are. <laughs> they, they are. <laughs> I've seen telemarketers start crying, and but so so um, so that went well. Uh, we built the largest one in the of course in the beginning. It was easy to be the largest one in the world because we were the only one in the world. <laughs> right. 
but, but after we got competition, we remained the largest in the world. We were taking, I'm quoting from memory, but uh, 60,000 incoming calls a day. Oh, my gosh. And I still have that number, 800-824-7888. Still, if you dial it, it goes to my cell phone now, um, although it hasn't been part of a business for 30-some-odd years. You're going to get like 300 cell phone calls today. Yeah, swell. <laughs> That's funny. So, so – so that went well, and, and you just kept growing from there. Well, it went well, except we opened a marketing division. And I'm, I'm telling you all this because Breakthrough Walls sounds like maybe it might fit your theme a little yeah, better. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, people say, oh, what was it like to know Dr. Napoleon Hill? He was happy to have the work. Yeah. He was in one of his many lulls in yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Earl Nightingale was the voice of all of our companies. And uh, Earl and Dr. Hill were at my house one day. Earl Nightingale and Dr. Hill were in my house one day. And I talked about getting a copy of the record the day I joined Holiday Magic and a copy of the book. And one of them said, well, did it work? And I said, well, I guess you're sitting in my house and you both work for me. So I, I guess it did work. <laughs> you know? Oh, my God. Gosh, I've listened to The Strangest Secret thousands of times over the years. I, it's still my favorite all-time recording oh, and uh, Dr. Yes. Hills. But anyway, we opened up a marketing arm, National Toll Free Marketing. We're sitting there 24 hours a day, seven days a week anyway for yeah. our clients. Yeah. So why don't we put in something? So in came the outbound, serious outbound. We did yeah. some for our own business, selling cosmetics and vitamins and this and that and so on. Yeah. And the federal government decided we were a multi-level marketing company, which we weren't. I'd gone out of my way to make sure we weren't. I had written the California law, right. Penal Code 329. I knew what a Martin, Martin uh, MLM company was. We weren't, but they said we were, which takes us back to if the federal government decides. Well, they decided we were, so we were. Uh, they mm -hmm. raided our office one day. Uh, year or two went by. I picked up the paper one day to go get a haircut on a Saturday morning. It said Placerville Man indicted. And I thought, oh, I wonder who that poor guy is. And I went to read the story. That poor guy was me oh. uh, and many of my associates. And uh, so went through a year-long trial. I knew all I had to do. I'm one of the greatest salesmen that ever lived. All I had to do was get one juror, you know, and I'm off. And a uh, year-long trial, longest trial in the history of the Ninth District, which is most of the West Coast. Oh, my God. And, and at the end of it, they found me, surprise, guilty. Oh, my and, God. And the judge, who was not happy about having his courtroom tied up for a year, got his vengeance by sentencing me. Everybody else got lighter stuff. They probably didn't consider it light, but it was light. Yeah. Sentenced me to a half-a-million-dollar fine and 15 years in federal prison. Oh, my God. That was sort of my reaction. Uh, it was called – It was if today they say 15 years to you, you will do 85% of the 15 years. Back then, it was called old law, which meant when you hear 15, you'll do a minimum of five, a maximum of 15. Oh, my uh, God. If you stab a guard, either of those numbers could change. I wound up doing six years, one month, one day, and did two you, hours. Uh, did you say if you stab a guard? Well, and my point is, it's you know, if you come in, sit down, read a book for five years, you'll go home at the end of five years. Right, probably. right, right. 
Yeah. And they can't keep you longer than uh, 10 right. on a 15 sentence. In my case, it was six years, one month, one day, and two hours. And the reason it was longer than the minimum five, here's a little warning to your people. I'm very good at what I do. I wound up running their education department, teaching sales and marketing, teaching public speaking, running their regional warehouse. I had my own van. I drove my own crew around. I could have left any time I wanted. Uh, and I was so valuable, I found out later from some correctional officer friends of mine. They said, Ben, you painted yourself in a corner. The reason you didn't go home at five years is what there were people here who didn't want you to go at all. They were afraid they couldn't run some of the things you were oh running. Oh, my gosh. Without you. So if you ever have to go to federal prison, be a screw-up. <laughs> don't, don't stab a guard. But don't stab but, a guard. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say. But be a screw-up. <laughs> oh, my gosh, man. Wow. What we're doing uh, today, the, the closers in my seminars, I've been doing it in one form or another ever since September 15th, 1965. But what I've done in the last 22 years has all been since that event. I got out 22 years ago. And uh, so the closers and all that stuff is uh, since then. Wow. Okay. So what y what year did you get out of, of the the? 96 went in in 90 got out in 96 96 so yeah. in 96 you um you get out of 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 all that and and you which i can't even fathom that uh, i can't fathom it but like you you get out of that and and then what like you uh, were you still like did you did you still have your business or was it like oh start over again <laughs> Well, it was start over again in that when I went in my current business selling books and seminars and all was making forty, fifty thousand a month. Okay. When I came out, it was making making profit. When I came out uh, in '96, it wasn't making any profit and was fifty thousand dollars in debt. Oh wow! So, some well-meaning friends had at least kept the PO box open and the eight hundred number that we were using by then. Uh, on, wow. so I had a base, and most m most of my uh, clients uh, thought that I was just so busy I couldn't speak at their conventions and so on. Sometimes I'd return their calls either from my office. I had a phone and a computer. It's not exactly like the normal prisoner has, right? Uh, and uh, or out in the uh, pay phones where, where I'd started anyway. I started in the phone booth. Might as well phone home from prison in a phone booth, uh, I would be out there talking and, you know, people are yelling and screaming and carrying on and the intercom is cutting on and off. Yeah. So I always told him I was in an airport. Pardon the background noise. I'm in an airport. And wow. then in uh, 1996, suddenly I was available again and boom, we started saying yes to speeches and seminars instead of no, and most people never knew I was gone. Tell, tell you a quick story. I know we're pressed for time. A quick story. Gigi, who I was not married to when I went in, I courted her by letter and phone call. I'd known her for years, but yeah. casually. Uh, but that's when I started my campaign. If you think I'm a good letter writer, try and get a classy lady to even open your mail from prison, never mind, <laughs> entertain yeah. the idea. Uh, so anyway, I come home, been gone six years plus, 
And uh, she says, first night, what are we going to do? I said, well, why don't we go to our favorite restaurant? There's a restaurant I'd taken her to when I was married to my previous wife. They uh, called the Snooty Frog. So we walk into the Snooty Frog, and she's concerned, you know, do we hang our head down because now you're next con and so on. And uh, she said, what do we do? I said, well, we walk in, we ask for a table, and we sit down. Walked in. The uh, owner of the restaurant, Chanel, came up to me and she said, Mr. Gay, how are you? You haven't been in here in a couple of months. We thought you'd have, we'd offended you. Your regular table is ready. We sat down. She brought our the wine she knew I preferred and so on and then said, you know, if we did something wrong, you let us know. We were noticeably aware that you were gone for a couple of months. And I looked. <laughs> I looked at Gigi and winked. You know, people get on with their own lives. That's right. Yeah. She didn't know I was in prison, didn't care if I was in prison. Oh, and my. I, was, I was a pretty nice guy and a good chipper. So They, they spent right. six years, one month, one day, and two hours holding that table. Yeah. I guess <laughs> a lot of people were mad. Oh, my God. That is funny. Wow. So, so you came out and, and, and so your career has been, and I, and listen, you mentioned time. This is the internet, man. We can go all day if you want. So well, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I try to keep it around an hour, but if we go longer, I'm like, I am completely mesmerized by your story. And I know there's a lot of people listening and watching that are too. So um, so you came out and and you uh, you came out of prison. You you still had the business PO box, the eight hundred number, and just boom, you just start. I'm going to start doing doing the speeches now. I'm going to go talk and train and teach people. Just went back to what I've always done. Uh, wow. You know, since it's, in holiday magic, a month or so in, I'd had a few little victories, and it became evident that I was. A, Maybe a little more personable than your average person. Zig was up in Columbia, South Carolina. I didn't have to contend with him every few minutes, yeah. or I probably I wouldn't have gotten as much stage time. But uh, Bill Dempsey, the guy who recruited us, uh, yeah. the three of us that day, said to me one Saturday, "Why don't you get up and tell him what you've been doing?" So I got up, scared to death, probably talked for five or six minutes, and then got a little applause. And I thought, oh, I, I sort of like that. So I got ah. up a little longer, a little longer, a little longer. Here's how I got in paid public speaking. Uh, we did a Saturday meeting. It was, uh, I'm guessing, better part of eight hours, including lunch. And I worked for most of that time, six or seven of the hours. Zig came in about halfway through my presentation. I didn't even know he was in town. He got up and did an hour of biscuits, fleas, and pump handles and, you know, yeah. this old, this good old boy back home stuff. Mm -hmm. It was great, and I enjoyed it. I knew Zig's stories better than he did. But uh, the uh, I used to correct him, mouth corrections when he was talking to people. <laughs> She didn't appreciate, but you know, yeah. when you have an old rock and roll song when you're growing up, you don't want their new rendition of it because they're tired of singing it. And it <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, you know, so I, I was sort of tight with Zig about don't screw with the stories. Yeah, right, and right. So Zig gets up, he works for about an hour. Work is a relative term, but he talked for about an hour. Mm -hmm. And at the end, I'm shaking hands up in front of the room and I look in the back and Zig is talking to Bill Dempsey, the guy who recruited us. Dempsey reaches into his pocket, pulls out an envelope, hands it to Zig, who puts it in his coat pocket. 
And uh, I thought that's interesting. I just sort of intuitively thought money might have changed hands, but it wouldn't have been a commission. Those came in the mail from San Rafael, California. We didn't swap money at a local level. Right. So when, when they finished talking, I excused myself, chased Zig down through the meeting room and out into the hall. There was a coffee shop at the end of the uh, hall. And I said, Zig, I didn't get to spend any time with you. Let me buy you a cup of coffee. And he said, well, that'd be nice. So we went in, bought him a cup of coffee. And I said, just to keep Dempsey honest, how much did he pay you? And Zig, thank God he paid him something or else I would have looked like an idiot. It might have been a, a letter to his wife or something. I don't right, know. Right. Zig opens up the envelope and looks at it and he said, $300. He said, what do he pay you? And I said, oh, same, $300. Well, he hadn't paid me anything. I didn't know you could get paid for speaking. Oh, my gosh. But I had, except for prisons and uh, uh, churches and, you know, charity work for friends of mine, I had just given my last free speech. Once I discovered you could get paid for it, yeah. I started getting paid. Wow. That is and that was 5,000 plus paid speeches ago. So I will always be grateful to Zig and Bill, De uh, Bill Dempsey and Zig. They're both gone now, but yeah. they changed my life when I saw that envelope change hands. Wow. Did you say, just say 5,000 paid speaking engagements? Plus, yeah. Those are things, you know, you don't count the first when you're deep into your career before you sort of look back and try and figure it out. But based on the pace, I, I gave 300 seminars a year for several years. Oh, my uh, gosh. In fact, I was giving close to that, a couple of hundred, when I went into prison. And the deal I struck when I asked Gigi to marry me, uh, she said, well, I'd like to marry you, uh, and I'm in love with you, and I'm flattered you asked. However, we need to talk. And I remember thinking, that's not good. I heard <laughs> – I heard something similar to that at the end of my first marriage and my second marriage. And she knew she grew up with one of my previous wives. And when we moved here, became a very good friend of my first wife. Wow. So she knew the stories. Yeah. And so we sat down over a glass of wine and she explained to me that 300 uh, seminars a year were not good for a marriage. And probably that wouldn't be a good idea. Yeah. And I had no desire to meet my fourth wife, so I'm sure she's out there somewhere, but I didn't want to meet her. Uh, so I agreed a little conversation back and forth. I agreed to 24 a year, raise my fees so I could have take some of that hit, yeah. but 24 a year, no more than three in any one month. Next proviso was no local clients. She had heard about yeah. distributors coming up to, you know, we ran five major MLMs in our home in Marin County. Wow. You couldn't go out the front door without bumping into somebody from one of the companies and so on. So you always had to be dressed and yeah. Yeah. so on. She said no local clients. Well, I looked up down, up and down Main Street in Placerville, California, and decided that wasn't a great loss. The hardware store, I think, had 12 employees. Mm -hmm. So I acted like that was a killer, but I reluctantly agreed. And the last one was no speeches within 50 miles of home. And I thought, uh-oh, because a lot of companies fly their people in, have conventions up at Lake Tahoe, yeah. and I go speak to them. I said, how, how far away is Lake Tahoe? And she said, well, where the resorts are, that's 60 miles. I said, okay, deal. Uh, so I went to 24 seminars, <laughs> no local clients, and no speeches within 50 miles of home. And I'm telling you, uh, it was the best thing, Ken, I have ever agreed to. Wow. Uh, Placerville is a little haven. Gigi's family's been here for 100 years. So in, here I'm not. Ben Gay. Yeah. I'm 
Gigi Ronzoni's husband, and we don't know what he does. Oh, my gosh. So I, I just absolutely love it. Wow. That's I did awesome. a seminar in Portland when I first got out of prison, drew, flew up or drove up or something to Portland. We were driving back, and I was still sort of inflated. I'd been out of prison 11 days when I did that seminar. Oh, my <clears> God. <throat> are you kidding me? Yeah, and this is before TSA. So when we got off the plane, there were a couple of hundred people in the jetway uh, holding up signs, welcoming me to, to uh, Portland and to that company. That's so I turned, I turned to Gigi, and I said, Welcome to my world. Wow. uh, She'd never seen that before, that part of my life. So we drive back down the coast. We get home, and as we pull into the driveway, it was Wednesday or Wednesday. She said, don't forget to take out the trash tonight. And I looked at her. This is Mr. Gay, who was just cheered. you know, like Yeah, right. And uh, she said, don't forget to take out the trash. And I shot her a look, and she said, welcome to my world. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Oh my gosh, that is too much. So, so let let me ask you a question. I mean, look, you've been, you and and you know, I already knew knew some of that through email exchange with you. You know that you'd been through a lot of ups and downs, and um, you know, I, I, I guess for the audience, for the person that's watching, that. Um, is stuck. What What do you think the biggest thing is um, outside of salespeople? Because we have more than salespeople on here, right? Although I mm-hmm. think that if you're breathing, you're in sales. Everyone's yeah. <laughs> right. So, but, but, but like, you know, what do you think it is that keeps people stuck in a bad place in their life? Inertia, you know, things that in motion tend to remain in motion unless acted upon by an outside force. Things at rest tend to remain at rest till acted upon by an outside force. So you have to take, you can't wait for a zig or somebody used to say, you know, people say, I, I hope somebody comes by and turns me on. And whoever it was that said it said, what if nobody shows up? <laughs> you know, which is distinctly possible because right. they're busy running their own lives. Right. So get around successful people. I, I, I just did a seminar in Chicago and one of the guys, one of the speakers said that he was so He knew he needed motivation. He knew he uh, needed this and that and so on, but he didn't have any money. And so he used to go to Amway meetings, not as a distributor. He said he never bought the product, uh, never joined the marketing plan. He had his own plans uh, just to be around people who were going, yay, and slapping hands and excited and so on. He said, I went to a one Amway meeting a week for a couple of years. And it got me up and running and thinking differently. Read the good books, uh, go to the seminars, watch the videos. More training is available today on the Internet for free than I got in my first five years in the business. Sit down and go to the right places. Don't look at the cats playing with a parakeet. Uh, Watch your shows uh, and watch all the other stuff that's online. I've, I've done several of these. Uh, and most of my, much to my surprise, are up on YouTube or whatever. So if, yeah. you, if you if you haven't had enough of Ben Gay today, you can get even more. And your stuff, I know, is up. So uh, start availing yourself of that. Then, if you've ever had success in your life, go back to that. 
back to basics. There was a reason you were successful. It wasn't a lightning bolt out of the sky. You got up in the morning, you did certain things. Right. In the car, it's always saying, I'm in a slump. What, what do I do? Was there ever a time when you weren't in a slump? <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll do that. <laughs> right. Yeah, do that again. Right. <laughs> Excuse me. And if you haven't had that experience, uh, Jim Rohn, I think it was, said success leads leaves clues. Yeah. Get around successful people. And they're amazingly, I'm the biggest sucker in the world for somebody pulling up a chair and saying, can I talk to you for just a minute? The one I don't like because it means there's no intent to ever pay you is, may I pick your brain? I love that but one. I, yeah. But I still fall for it. Uh, yeah. Because I remember when other people let me pick their brain had i not answered that little ad in the atlanta journal constitution can understand you and i would not be talking i that that i know it's it's amazing yeah it's amazing i i you know i um i think that you know if you if if you were to have somebody i mean you would tell them the same thing if somebody came to you right now and said Said, man, I'm, I, my electric's getting shut off tomorrow. Got my car repoed last week. You know, this happened, this that, ha- and and I just can't figure it out. I'm 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 lost. I don't know what to do. What do you say? Like in that moment, because I've been there where you know you said you had a nickel. <clears throat> I've been there where I didn't have a nickel. <laughs> like, I, well, I had I had a leg up on you then. <laughs> yeah, you were rich. <laughs> So, but like, you know, I've been, and it's like, you, you get to that place where it's like, I don't know what to do. I, I'm, I really truly don't know what to do. You become paralyzed in the fear or the whatever. What do you say to get the, push them out of that? Well, even though it, it isn't as blunt, uh, blunt and direct as, as, uh, uh, perhaps it should have been, I would say to them what I just said moments ago. It, yeah. It's in, it's inertia. You have to, you have to take action. Yeah. When I started the National Communication Center, people knew up here that I had had a bunch of money. I'd been here doing sales training in my big Cadillac with the staff and, yeah. and so on. So they knew I was successful. Yeah. They didn't know I'd become unsuccessful. So when I moved up here and I said, I haven't moved my bank stuff around or anything yet, but I yeah. still need an office and I still need a house. They said, not a problem. And they leased wow. me an office. No money changed hands for several months. Wow. No money changed hands on the house. So I just I went back to being the successful Ben Gay. I started taking action. What I started to say about the call center business, when I started the National Communication Center, I had an idea. Speakers like me were on the road. They couldn't stay in touch. Their secretary wasn't sitting at the desk 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 a year. Right. So what? Wouldn't it be nice to have someone answer your phone live, take messages for you? And we had an itinerary service. Tell us where you are, the phone number, and we'll write that down. And in those days, we literally wrote it down. Wow. And we will tell them where you are and the phone number or take messages. That was the entire concept of the National Communication Center. When I left it 10 years later, that was less than one-half of 1% of the business. I was totally wrong. A, most speakers weren't busy enough to need anything like that. Yeah. There are speakers, and then there are speakers. Yeah, most, right. Most, most speakers are small-ass speakers. Right. So they, did, they didn't need it and couldn't <clears throat> afford it. Uh, two, 
some of the it was unlimited calls because we had unlimited time. It was yeah. ten thousand dollars a line to put the phones in, which got you two hundred and forty hours at the beginning of the next month. You got another bill for ten thousand plus overtime if there was any from the month before. Wow. Rather quickly I was entertaining fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollar a month phone bills. Uh but that bought us a lot of time, so a thing slipped past me. A guy signed up for the service. He said all he was really interested in was the message service. We didn't have a message service, but that meant he would just use part of what he bought. Right. And then he started running ads. It was the old sharper image, uh, uh, Richard Tallheimer. Oh, my uh, gosh. Who's now a buddy of mine. Well, uh, he's paying, I'm making up numbers, $70 a month for an executive service, but he's getting 10,000 phone calls that we're having to write down and mail to him in those days or fax to him, however we got them to him. Yeah. And somebody said to me, uh, is this what you had in mind? What if everybody did that? Uh, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. So we started the ad response division where we got paid by the phone call. So now you want to have 50,000 calls uh, a month, have at it, but you'll pay – 70,000 a month to get them and they were happy to do it. They didn't want to set up a call center. And then a guy in our own office building came down and knocked on the door one day. It, <coughs> pardon me. <clears throat> I guess I shouldn't turn my head and cough into a microphone. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> guy knocks on the door and we were, the doors were all locked. It was a locked bonded facility secure facility wow. the reason was well the reason was i didn't want people to open the door and see me and three little ladies sitting around a card table which is how i started wow uh, with a dead plant in the corner i don't know why but we had a dead plant <laughs> uh, so he knocks on the door he said I, i've read your stuff can i just get a message service i don't want the locator and all that and i yeah. said no are you running ads he said no i just want a message service i said i'm really sorry we don't do that as I shut the door, one of my older ladies who had been in answering service work, Virginia Helm, said, Ben, why don't we have a message service? And I said, well, because we don't have one. She said, that wasn't the question. Why don't we right, have a message right. So I chased the guy up the steps into his office. I said, we have a message service, $50 a month. I just made up a number, 50 yeah. a month, first and last in advance. He wrote me a check for 100 and we were in the message service business. Oh, my God. Ad response was, I'm guessing, 80% of our business. Message was almost 20. And my idea was less than one-half of 1% of the business after it got up and rolling. What saved me? We took action. We got into the business. Right. right. If you told me that, that it, my idea wasn't going to work, I'd have shut it down and figure out some other place to move. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was, we took action. I was the attitude coach for Apollo 15, 16, 17. And, uh, I learned, hey, I didn't do anything technical. It was just attitude and motivation and some ideas. Uh, but they taught me a great lesson. It took, I'm making up numbers. I long since forgot them, but when the Apollo program was in, it was a Saturn 5B rocket. And it took X number of millions of pounds of pressure to get it off the ground. Yep. yep. It would take, you know, 15 seconds or more to clear the tower. You sit there, just go, come on, come on, go, go. Yeah, right, right. But once it got in the air, in, the, in space, in theory, it's traveling 17,500 miles an hour, you could have opened the hatch, 
braced your wrist, had a can of hairspray in your hand and gone and changed the direction of the, of the capsule. However, slightly, but you'd change yeah. it that little part because it was off the pad and running. Right. Get off the pad. If you, if you want to make a lot of money, I'd start out in selling. Personally, I'm not a brain surgeon, so my options are limited. I'd get a sales <laughs> job. <laughs> get a sales job. Yeah. And, you know, people say, well, who's hiring? If they think you can close, every company in the world is, is hiring. hiring. Yeah, there's no exception. I've never, that- I've never turned a good salesman away from any company I've ever <laughs> run. If I thought you could sell – we would make room if we had to go buy a new desk. That's why I, I don't like I I can't relate to people. I've never had a resume ever in my life, and I've never I never will like because I've never looked for a job. I've always been the top, uh, great closer, great salesperson, communicator, and and so I've if I wanted a work wanted to work for a company. I just went and saw him and said, hey, where's my desk? (laughs) What what are you talking about? I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. You've been waiting on me for a while. I know. I'm here, right? (laughs) But but so, so, you know, a couple things, though, that we like some some common uh, very first. um, My first dive into sales was at 17 years old. I was um, I was I sold water purification systems for an Amway oh. distributor. <laughs> okay. Like I sat, well, you know, he had this little office, and oh, I remember the presentation, and everything. And the other thing is, my very first professional sales job as an adult, after I quit at the Honda factory, was working for a company called Metagram America, and Metagram America was a twenty-four hour a day answering service. Whoa! All right. And we had we had it was before. Well, I mean, cell phones were just around the corner, but but we had an alphanumeric pager, brand new to America, and and it was um, it was they it, the um, the only other option was a beeper that would go off, and you had to find a payphone. Remember those days? So yeah, we I had do. this alphanumeric pager where we would answer your phones twenty four hours a day. Reg- and send you a 160-character message saying, hey, you know, Ben called, Ben Gay called for you, and, and you need to call him at this number. And so it was just a little more, and that was my, and I was the number one sales guy in that company. Didn't know anything about sales either, but within six months, I was one of the leaders out of like 80 people in the office. It was insane. So, and young, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I just knew I hated building cars in a factory. <laughs> right and you knew, I wasn't you knew doing, what you didn't like yeah i wasn't doing that anymore so but anyway like yeah i i agree with what you said ben you're you're um man you are uh, i could talk to you all day long seriously like you're so i don't even know what the word is experienced and and handsome Handsome. <laughs> yeah. And that too. I mean, you silver just, hair, you silver got, hair, silver. Yeah. Right. So, so <laughs> like, you know, you have all this tremendous experience and you've had some amazing mentors, amazing mentors. And I, I, I is there anything else that you would like to share with everybody, like to help people get out of the muck and get into life? 
uh, for me, I would have gotten serious sooner. I treated it – I've always had a pretty good personality. I was wit, voted wittiest in high school, which means you're a C student at best, but I was funny. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? right. So I – like Willie Loman in Death of a Salesman, I sort of thought when I went into selling a handshake, shine shoes, and a smile would be enough. I rather quickly discovered it wasn't, no. but it – but it took a while to take action on it not being the answer. So I would get – if I had it to do over again, I would get serious – sooner, much sooner. The other thing I would do is instead of I lucked out, I answered a little ad, I walked into a phone booth. For some of your people who don't know what a phone booth is, it was an aluminum box. <laughs> Superman. Superman used to change his right, clothes. And, right, right, yeah. yep. Uh, uh, remove that, and that got me around a bunch of positive people. But that was accidental. Don't leave it to chance. They may not show up. Right. Get around successful people. Get around positive people. And learned how to communicate. When I moved to, well, I hadn't moved to California. I came out for some training before I became president with a bunch of us. Zig Ziglar was in that class yeah. uh, of ins potential instructors we were going to be. We were supposed to learn a 47-minute script, word for word, the opportunity meeting. And I was sort of, you know, well, I'll, I'll wing it. What are they going to know as long as it's thought for thought? Well, it turned out they meant word for word. <laughs> yeah. So we're down down a hallway in an office that was under construction. Bill Dempsey and I were sort of learning partners, and I forgot my manual. So I went back down the hall through a little office into the training room, and there was – William Penn Patrick and Fred Pape, he was the current president of the company, not knowing I was about to replace him. Uh, wow. And they had a Betamax recorder. People don't know what that is, but it's reel-to-reel -reel videotape, and it came in a cabinet, and they had flipped up the screen. So they're watching the people who presented that morning in the training class. When I walked in, by coincidence, they were watching me. I came in behind them. Neither one knew I was there. And uh, Fred Pape said, wow, he's good. And William Penn Patrick said, Bill is what I called him, but yeah. people know him yeah. as William Penn Patrick. Bill Patrick said, Fred, I'll pay more for the ability to communi communicate effectively than any other skill. So I did the moonwalk back out of the office yeah. so they would they wouldn't know I'd overheard that. I went down to the office we were in, and Dempsey said, uh, you know, well, what's up? I said, well, the office was tied up. I couldn't get my manual. But let's get serious about learning this. Wow. And that, that's literally when my career uh, took a turn. I probably would have done fine anyway. But yeah. when I decided to be the best presenter in the company, that was the turn. So if you're sitting at home stuck, maybe a little shy, maybe afraid to communicate, or you're not comfortable, join Toastmasters. Mm -hmm. uh, Toastmasters, I have many things, good and bad, I can say about Toastmasters. Blind leading the blind is one of them. But they, <laughs> but they have a structure that comes right? from the office. And so there is a way to get comfortable. You're not going to be great there. Uh, I can always tell a Toastmasters graduate because they talk like this and they do this and they you know, <laughs> move their hands. They look like Arthur Murray dance instructors, uh, but who all dance identical, you know. Right. Uh, but it's a great starting point. Right. When I was at uh, uh, Lompoc, 
I also did it at San Quentin. San Quentin, I was a volunteer. I taught my people builders program there for five years, how to get out of prison and stay out of prison. But apparently I wasn't listening because <laughs> yeah. shortly thereafter I was in prison right. with some of my graduates from San Quentin. Uh, but my key to getting people to be successful was teaching them public speaking, getting them up in front of people so they didn't – many of the people I worked with, their only method of communication was a gun. Give me your money. Yeah, right. They did talk. Let me give you a quick example if I can get this up where you can see it. Oh, hold on. Let me That's – Yeah. Can you see it? Yeah. Okay. It's a book called Don't Let Your Past Hold You Back, The Redemption of a Gangster. Wow. Uh, no, no, said gangster. Uh, <laughs> Is it gangster? Gangster. Gangster. By M. Lamont Bowens. When yeah. I met Lamont, he came to one of my public speaking classes at Lompoc. His plan was to get out of prison, raise three or four hundred dollars, excuse me, get out of prison, stick up somebody to get three or four hundred dollars to finance his way back into the drug business. That was his plan. Oh my God. Lamont when I taught him how to use his magnificent voice and natural talents, Lamont became and is now a successful attorney. Oh, my he, gosh. Are you serious? He was a high school dropout, drug dealer, gang member, 18 years old when I met him, barely old enough to be in federal prison. It was sort of lucky he was there. Uh -huh. uh, and now a successful attorney. The difference, I got him comfortable in front of groups talking and wow. once he got that reinforcement, all the other doors opened up. Wow. Public speaking is the only reason Lamont Bowens is an attorney today. That is absolutely amazing. And you know what? I mean, I know you've touched the lives of and positively impacted the lives of millions and millions of people. Mil it's got to be mm -hmm. like, I don't even know, tens of millions. But like... You positively impacted my life today, and I'm very, very grateful for that. I really am. And there's a like if you get a chance to go back and look at the comments on Facebook, you will. There's there's some amazing comments. So, Ben, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I genuinely appreciate. I'd love to have you come back on the show sometime. You name a time, I'll be here. I, and I, I really think you genuinely mean that, and I'm, I'm blown away by it. So thank you. I'm going to get your books. Hopefully the next time you're on, I will have at least read one. I have stats. <laughs> I, I, have, I have authors, and I, I'm very grateful for it. My buddy, I don't know if you know Weldon Long. Do you know Weldon? I know of him. He's he's he was on the show recently. I have authors send me their books, so I have stacks of books to read. And I'm, I'm, like, oh. I'm, I'm surrounded by them also. I and know. I can't I can't read them all, but I I have five books going at any given time. I have I five know. reading spots. I know. And if you're at the top of the stack in one of those five reading spots, you're you're being read. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's something. So so listen. Thank you so much. I, I, I really mean that. Thank you for being on. You're you're a man of I, I wish I could download your brain somehow. Like just download everything. <laughs> like, and, there's and, there's some dark stuff in there. Oh, you know, well <laughs> hey, we all have the angel and the devil, right? Like, you know, so um but thank you so much for being on. It was a it was a, such a pleasure having you on. People on the stream are just blown away by you too. So Ben, thank you so much. 
Bless you. I appreciate it, Ken. Thank Talk you. to you soon. All right. And don't hang up on Skype yet. So thank you to everybody on Facebook, by the way, for sharing this, all of your amazing comments, the hearts, the love, everything. So thank you all, and we will see you again soon. Thank you, Ben.